Taiwan underwater by 2050? That sounds like a doomsday movie, doesn't That's it? That's right, but it could be a reality if we don't reduce our carbon emissions. I'm Natalie So. And I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. Health experts revealed findings from COVID-19 antibody tests on over 4,800 Taiwanese people. These include health and medical professionals and people who came into contact with confirmed cases or were in quarantine. The tests found that the infection rate for that group of people was very low, at only 8.3 people in 10,000. They also found that 18 COVID-19 patients had antibodies that lasted over 100 days, which will be helpful in developing a vaccine. Taiwanese biotech firm Adimmune Corp has gotten the go-ahead to begin human trials for a COVID-19 vaccine that it has developed. While this is the first Taiwanese firm to get approval for human trials, other Taiwanese companies are not far behind. Taiwan is gearing up to receive its latest delegation from abroad, this time from the Czech Republic. The 90-member delegation will include the president of the Czech Senate and the mayor of Prague. The latest addition to the Taipei Zoo's panda family is growing quickly. She can now turn over on her own. The jury is still out on what her official name will be, but results from a public poll are expected on August 30th. And under the radar, attendees at the Taidong Balloon Festival on Saturday got a little shock when they saw one of the balloons make what appeared to be an emergency landing on a nearby riverbed. However, the pilot and local officials say that the landing was normal, and the unusual spot was chosen to avoid power lines and a flight-restricted area. The 10th annual Taidong International Balloon Festival will conclude with a light show and concert on August 30th. And now for our words of the week. Andrew, guess yes. my word. What do you have? Fury. Future? Yes, that's right. Okay. <laughs> so we'll be talking about how to prepare for the future. We want Taiwan to have a good future. There are some uh, warning signs, and we'll be telling you more about that. Ooh, okay. Yeah. You ready for mine? Mm -hmm. Tomorrow? <laughs> Torrential? Aha, uh -huh, rains. Torrential rains. Now, as you might guess by uh, the opening of our show, we're going to be talking about rising sea water. And uh, today, it just so happens that we have torrential rains. So it kind of all wraps up together, doesn't it? It does. Let's put these on the shelf. Earlier this week, we saw some disturbing images of what Taiwan may look like underwater. That's right. It was a simulation by Greenpeace, which is warning that some 2 million people in Taiwan, or nearly 10% of the population, could be displaced by rising sea levels by the year 2050. If something isn't done about global carbon emissions, over 2,000 square kilometers of land in Taiwan will become flood risks by 2050. That's the latest from a report conducted by environmental NGO Greenpeace. Carbon emissions are responsible for global warming, which cause ice sheets to melt into the ocean, in turn prompting sea levels to rise. Taiwan will become more susceptible to storm surges wrought on by typhoons because of rising sea levels. Greenpeace says that currently global sea levels are rising by about 1.9 millimeters a year. If trends continue, then sea levels in Taiwan will rise by 0.56 meters by 2050. Under that circumstance, sea levels may rise by as much as 1.62 meters during storm surges. This would negatively impact densely populated areas. 
The rise in sea levels poses a safety threat to people living in all six of Taiwan's major municipalities. 750,000 inhabitants in New Taipei City alone would be affected. Greenpeace is calling on all local governments to evaluate how climate change will affect their areas and make adjustments as needed. It says that climate change is already a huge threat and immediate response is necessary. Joining us with more details is Catherine Wei. Hey, Catherine. Hi. Now, you looked at uh, some of the specific places that could be affected by rising sea levels, and some of those places were in southern Taiwan. Mm -hmm. We saw some historical sites in Tainan on the list, also an arts uh, center in Kaohsiung. But some of the places were also right here in our backyard. Yes, and it may be hard to believe, but the presidential office and the Songsan International Airport might be underwater in 30 years' time. Well, that's hard to imagine. So um, what is Greenpeace saying about how Taiwan is dealing with this problem? Uh, Greenpeace is saying Taiwan's not doing that great of a job, and it's not just Greenpeace who's saying this. Taiwan has been ranked at the bottom in a few climate change rankings, including the Climate Change Performance Index, which uses data from the UN. We ranked third to last in 2019. But the government says that these organizations are using old or incorrect data. Taiwan hasn't been able to correct them because it is not a member of major global organizations like the UN. So that means that Taiwan is also not part of the international climate change discussion, and it's also mm. not getting any international funding for green energy projects. What about Taiwan's energy profile? So Taiwan is working to phase out nuclear power, which means we rely more heavily on coal, which causes more greenhouse gases. But Taiwan is creating more solar energy. In fact, in the summer months of the past three years, it's generated more energy than two of the country's nuclear power plants put together. Wow. Environmental groups also have some other suggestions. They say Taiwan cities should completely switch to electric public transportation and impose an energy tax or carbon emission tax, making those who pollute pay the price. Mm. So what do you think about all this, Kat? I think it's reasonable. I think people who are wrecking the earth should pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> so they should make more people pay for it, more mm. companies, right? That's true. Well, this is uh, an issue, of course, that affects the whole world, not just Taiwan. Yeah. Uh, and also the whole world can have an impact on, you know, cutting down on carbon emissions. Right. So, well, thank you for that. And that's this week's Taiwan Explained. Our brain game this week is three picks. And you know, Taiwan just celebrated Chinese Valentine's Day, but humans aren't the only ones who have been in the mood for love this week. <laughs> we have video footage of animals courting each other. We'll be seeing that in just a moment. But first, let's take a look at some pictures of three animals in Taiwan. And I want you guys to tell me about their mating habits. Oh my oh. goodness. <laughs> This should be fun, right? Oh, yeah. man. Okay. Sounds like fun for the viewer. <laughs> so let's first take a look at this animal. This is a little frog. He's called the Miantian tree frog. He's a native to Taiwan. He's only two to four centimeters big. And he made the cover of the Journal of Zoology, as we see here, because he found a way, a clever way, to amplify his mating call so more female frogs could hear him and be attracted to him. What did he do? I think that he took that big old bulge of a neck and he like inflated it and that made it louder. It's like inflated a tuba. His neck. It's like okay. a tuba. No. He did something, he used something man-made. Oh. He used something man-made. 
Well, you said, and I said that was like a tuba. Yeah. He didn't really use an actual tuba, did he? I think you should say that. <laughs> a tuba? Give it a go. Is it a tuba? Okay, he used a storm drain. Oh. He made his mating call a storm drain. And he made like international news for this. What? Was cool. it just that one frog or is it that? Like, These frogs. They all do it? Yeah. They all do it. Well, Whoa. This that's type of frog does it. Smart frog. Wow. Pretty cool, huh? Yes. Okay, let's take a look <laughs> at our next picture. Now, this is our most recognizable um, bear, you know, animal native to Taiwan, the Formosan black bear. He's actually usually a loner. So, you guys, guess how he usually finds a mate during mating season? I'm going to say OK Cupid. <laughs> what does that no? mean? <laughs> Internet a, dating. Oh. No? no? <laughs> I'm going to say. Tinder. <laughs> I'm going to say. Uh, he puts a bunch of berries and, and, and leaves out, mm, you wow. know, things that That's bears romantic. like. Berries and then he bears. sees if there's any takers. Yeah. I, I mean, that's how I would do it if I were a bear. That's how like I do it picnic, now. Right? I just leave out a spread. Be, be more primitive. The way be more to, primitive. to a woman's heart is through her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. He's actually a bit primitive. more primitive than that. He's a bit more primitive. Primitive. He goes on a jog. He doesn't like, write does, letters. Doesn't he's write. like working out at the gym. He's like, oh yeah, that too, right? Guys. He's taking. Is he doing pull-ups off of trees and stuff like that? Ooh, that's very primitive. You guys giving your secrets out? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Natalie, I, I like to pull off of trees. Pull up the trees. Yeah, 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 all the time. Okay, he follows her around for days. Ah. <laughs> but he's got to find her, her first, doesn't he? Well, he finds one and then stalks her for days. Yeah. And then after they mate, he leaves and goes on with his life. Oh, so. <laughs> see, that's not the secret to a long-term no, relationship. No. <laughs> yeah. Okay, now we have another picture here. These guys are actually quite sophisticated, the penguins. Okay. They have um, a very wonderful courtship, I think. The guy tries to find a girl, it attracts her in certain ways, we'll be guessing that. But um, after they start dating, they sing to each other, they bow to each other, they clean their own feathers. They do that so they can recognize each other's song, so they can... Be monogamous and, and find each other mm -hmm. for, for years to come. And after they have an egg, they take turns incubating it. Isn't that cute? <laughs> that is very cute. I think that's, that's really adorable. Sweet. So, what is it that females look for, look at, when they're looking at male penguins? If <laughs> I were a penguin, I think that they're looking for a big dude. A big, <laughs> warm dude that can keep the eggs Actually, you're warm. right. And He's you know the how they find that? That's on one the of the floor. ways. That's one of the things they look at. You know how they know how, besides looking at him, do you know how else they know Plumage? how much fat he has? Like they take a nibble. <laughs> <laughs> they listen to his song. Oh, yeah. baritone. They like well, a nice yeah. bass or baritone. So yeah. more fat means they can stay on the egg longer and she can go out to play. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> go have fun. <laughs> There's something yeah. else they look at, though. Can you guys guess? Plumage? Depending on the species. Like feathers? No. Nope. Beak? No. Nope. Um, their feet. <laughs> that is a very important part of a penguin. <laughs> they have a little, little foot thing. They actually look around. at their nests. Their nests? Yeah. Oh, to see if they're clean? Well, I don't know. To see if they like it, if it's oh. a nice nest, because they're going to hang out there for a long That's time. That's not unsimilar it's to humans. It's very practical, right? <laughs> <laughs> I wonder what the criteria for, for judging a nest is. Like... Is it a messy bachelor pad? Yeah. <laughs> are, the, are the branches trimmed? Are there know? a lot of like beer cans from like last night hanging out there? Oh, you, you know those penguins they like to party, Andrew. They're real party animals. So we actually have some video of penguins courting each other 
in Pingdong at the National Museum of Marine Biology. Let's take a look at what one male penguin did for his girl. This penguin is courting by placing a rock in front of their beloved. It's a bit like the way humans in some cultures propose with diamond rings. If the other penguin shows affection in return, the couple prepares to begin mating. That was what was going on at the National Museum of Marine Biology and Aquarium on Tuesday, which coincidentally was also the holiday sometimes called Chinese Valentine's Day in English. The penguins will build love nests shaped like small volcanoes after they have finished mating, says their caretaker. It wasn't just the penguins feeling love in the air either. Sea hares and puffins were also reportedly looking for romance too. Aquarium visitors were delighted at seeing the varied forms of animal courtship on display. This week on Hashtag Taiwan, I want to talk to you about the movies Inception, The Dark Knight Rises, and G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra. What do these three movies have in common? Are they all Christopher Nolan movies? G.I. Joe, The Rise of Cobra, a Christopher Nolan movie. Don't insult the man like that. All three of those movies have this guy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Now, if you don't know who he is, I assume you don't watch many movies because he's been in at least 51 films since 1992. Anyway, what did JGL do? Did he come to Taiwan? No. Did he say something about Taiwan? No, but he did bring a lot of attention to Taiwan. This is the website HitRecord. It is a media platform Levitt founded in 2004. Earlier this week, Joseph Gordon-Levitt posted this to Facebook. Hi, friends in Taiwan. I'm looking for photos of Taiwan for a new project on my site HitRecord. Look through your camera roll, find a cool photo taken anywhere in the country, and add it to the project here. Kiki Shen captured this shot at the 2016 Taiwan Lantern Festival in Taoyuan. People in Taiwan love two things, Hollywood actors and Hollywood actors talking about Taiwan. As of writing, Levitt's Facebook post has over 32,000 likes, 6,600 comments, and 5,600 shares. Lots of people wanted to show Joseph Gordon-Levitt the beauty of Taiwan, but most notably, many city mayors shared their cities with him. Here are a few. Deputy Mayor of Taipei City Huang Sansan shows Joseph a picture with the caption, Beimun, Taipei City Wall North Gate has been the front gate of Taipei since the 1880s. It is one of the five gates that has been left behind. It still has its original look. The gate has stood strong for over 120 years and awaits visitors like you to witness its history. Taipei welcomes you. Next, new Taipei City Mayor Ho Yoi uploaded a picture saying, Hi Joseph, as mayor of new Taipei City, I believe our city will definitely be a good choice. Let's check out the park with the longest embankment in Taiwan. The new Taipei Metropolitan Park, an inclusive playground for all, is one of the most popular outdoor playing fields in Taiwan, with slides measuring 800 meters in width, as well as artificial turf for grass boarding. 800 meters in width? That's wider than the river! He must be length. Taoyuan Mayor Zhen Wenchan uploaded this picture and said, Hi Joseph, explore the people, nature, and culture in Taoyuan. Photo taken at Shimun Reservoir, scenic lake view surrounded by stunning mountains and characteristic pavilions. Mayor of Xinzhu City Lin Zijian posted this picture and said, Dear Joseph, this photo was taken in the Xinzhu fishing port where breakwaters, shaped as fish scale stairways, attract countless visitors from far and wide to enjoy the gorgeous sunset and sea breeze there. Looking forward to welcoming you in the not too distant future. 
Taichung Mayor Lu Xiuyan let her picture do the talking for her by simply writing Gaomei Wetland, Taichung. Tainan Mayor Huang Weizhe uploaded a picture of this whale structure and wrote Joseph Gordon-Levitt a whole essay introducing the attraction. I have one more entry that I'd like to share with you and this comes from presidential office photographer Makoto Lin. Lin was responsible for taking an epic shot of President Tsai Ing-wen during her second inauguration which we used as a cover for an episode of Taiwan Insider. Lin shared this breathtakingly symmetrical shot from inside Taiwan's Grand Hotel. As nice as it is that people are participating and sharing photos with Joseph Gordon-Levitt, he did ask people to upload their entries to his website in the post. So all y'all who just left a photo as a Facebook comment on his post, gots to go fix that, like... Are you ready to take our Taiwan news quiz this week? This is the lightning round, which means we have 60 seconds on the clock. In the hot seat today, we have Leslie and Natalie. Are you guys ready? Ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) (laughs) All right. You can also play along at home. Let's go. On Monday, Health Minister Chen Shijong said that COVID-19 may become as common as what? Seasonal flu. That's right. An extremely heavy rain warning is in effect for much of southern Taiwan. What city saw the biggest rainfall on Wednesday night? Kaohsiung is true. After seven decades in business, which Taipei dumpling restaurant announced on Wednesday that it's closing its doors? Gaoji, that is correct. It was because they had an improper permit and because of poor business. It's not ruling out reopening in the future. Now, France is set to become the fourth European country after the UK, Germany, and Switzerland to host multiple Taiwanese representative offices. Where will the new office be? Provence. Aix-en-Provence, that's right, in southern France. The mayor of Prague is set to visit Taipei from August 30th through September 4th to strengthen ties between the two cities. How many people are in his delegation? 90. 90, that is correct. What famous Taiwanese filmmaker will receive a Lifetime Achievement Award at this year's Golden Horse Award? Ho Xiaoxian. is correct. His film, A City of Sadness, won the Golden Lion in Venice. It's the first time a Taiwanese director was awarded at one of the big three film festivals. Now, today I have a bonus question for you. Of course you do. Of course I do. (laughs) So this week, Michelin honored Taiwanese restaurants with stars this week. And for the third year in a row, Le Palais is still the only three-star restaurant in Taiwan. What kind of food do they serve? Cantonese. What? Cantonese. That is correct. They serve Cantonese food. I always thought it Gotta was French Gotta go there food. someday. I know. It's <laughs> <laughs> called Le Palais, right? La, Le Palais du Chine. I thought it was French, right? <laughs> Who knew? So at any rate, we're going to finish off with uh, a delicious video, if we will. This is a look at the restaurants that received Michelin stars for the first time this year, their first appearance in the listings. We have three restaurants from Taipei. We have four restaurants from Taichung, which was also included in the listings this year. Let's have a look. Three Taipei restaurants received the Michelin star for the first time. They include a cut of the Ambassador Hotel, which serves U.S. and Australian beef steaks, the Spanish restaurant Molino de Udinese, and Japanese restaurant Sushi Akira. The Taichung restaurants that received a Michelin star are Fleur de Sel, Fochetta, and Oretachi no Nikuya. Taichung's JL Studio featuring Asian cuisine won a two-star rating. With 26 restaurants in Taipei and four in Taichung, 30 restaurants received the prestigious Michelin star, showing Taiwan is truly a world-class culinary destination. Transportation Minister Lin Jialong said he hopes the Michelin Guide will continue to go south to discover the delicious food in southern Taiwan as well. We are ready. We are ready. We are ready. We are ready. Taiwan. 
Well, thank you so much for joining us for this edition of Taiwan Insider. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, leave a comment below. We would love to hear from you. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Leo. And I'm Andrew Ryan. We'll see you next week. Welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. You're listening to the beautiful music of one of Taiwan's most famous pianists, Gwyneth Chen. Now, Chen is a Taiwanese-American pianist who in 1993 won the biggest cash prize of 100,000 U.S. dollars in the history of piano competitions. She has won many global awards and distinctions and played at the opening concert of the 2008 Beijing Olympics. She's getting ready for two concerts in Taiwan this month, and today we're delighted to be able to hear her insights into the power of classical music and her life as a musician. Gwyneth, you are one of Taiwan's most accomplished and uh, well-known musicians, uh, pianists. What is the most rewarding aspect of your career as a musician? I would say reaching out. Really? Even though I play concerts and, and I connect with the audience and the music reaches out, but it's not the same when you um, also speak to the audience and connect with them on a more personal level especially reaching out to the younger generation. I know that mm -hmm. you started a program where young people could study abroad, right? Yeah, I was artist-in-residence for a high school, and I feel that these kids needed some more Western influence <laughs> in their music, because after all, we're playing classical music, which comes from Europe. So what kind of, what do you mean by Western influence? The, the culture? Culture, in mm -hmm. terms of culture, and even just um, speaking English, speaking a, a, an European language. And that would affect the way you play. Oh, of course, of course. That affects the way you feel, and the way you feel affects the way you play. That, mm -hmm. I mean, that's all part of the culture. It manifests in the music. So um, I want to send them abroad on a, an exchange program, but there is no such program for music. So I designed a program, a music exchange program for them. And then I applied through AIT to the U.S. State Department and it got approved. And that was the first time anything like this happened in Taiwan, that they have a music exchange program for high school music students. It allowed 20 high school music students to go to the U.S. to study music for three weeks, all sponsored by the U.S. State Department. Oh, I'm yeah. sure they're thrilled about that. Oh, yeah. It was a, a lifetime experience a for life them. Life-changing experience, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but, and I know that you usually travel the world and, and play throughout the world, but um, the pandemic has mm -hmm. changed everything, right? Mm -hmm. Tell us how life has been for you as a musician since then. I know you've been in Taiwan, so we're lucky to have you here. Um, it, it was actually good for me because I finally get to, well, first of all, I get to spend more time with my family. And I also get to spend more time learning a new repertoire and also, most importantly, reflecting. 
mm. and just looking within because we need to do a lot of that as musicians. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's, it, was, it was good for me. So yeah. how do you reflect? Do you reflect by playing or, or reading, meditating or any other ways? No, just more of doing nothing. Mm. I think that's very important for anyone. I think doing too much or learning too much, or just, you know, sometimes you go too fast and you just have to stop and, and do nothing and mm. absorb everything that has happened in the last you know, five, 10 years or, the, or the, the whole lifetime and see how that makes a new plan for yourself, even just spiritually, hmm. especially spiritually and on the personal level. So what have you um, reflected on about yourself during this time? Um, I think that more reflects in my plane. Mm -hmm. So has <laughs> yeah. your plane changed because of oh, this my, time? I think my plane has changed tremendously. In what way? Yeah, It's more grounded. More grounded. Yeah, more grounded is always good. Because <laughs> you're more grounded. I'm more grounded. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. So I I think the most important thing in life is that. And this may sound strange, but I think we all need a very strong foundation mm -hmm. in in anything, especially on the personal level in personal growth, because that carries you very far mm -hmm. when you have a strong foundation. For me, of course, first of all, in music. Uh, in piano playing but also something that most people haven't looked into as musicians is that you need a strong foundation in your personal life also and it's not so much what you do it's not so much as doing meditation or like me I, I'm a vegetarian it's not it's not only that it's what not to do what you don't do in well, like life. what yeah I, I won't name the the musician but there are musicians who are on drugs and then they have memory problems on stage. Oh, sure. Yeah. So because we play, I mean, pianists are the only instrumentalists who have to play from memory on stage. So we need to have a very clear mind and conscience. No drugs, probably not too much alcohol, or at least not before too much your <laughs> performance, right? <laughs> not even too much caffeine. Really? Mm -hmm. Before performance. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So how much time do you spend a day practicing? Or playing the piano on your own? It depends. For most musicians, it's four to six hours. Mm. And you can go more. more than that. Yeah, you can do six to eight, but it's not often that we do six to eight. It's in a row? No, it's all at once? no, no, you, you break it up. Oh, you break it up? Mm -hmm. And do you have a plan? Well, I'm sure you have a plan, right? Mm -hmm. What you need to practice. Yeah, usually you're doing something to get ready for the next concert. Mm. Yeah. And I know you have a performance coming up at the end of the month. Two performances, mm -hmm. right? One's mm -hmm. in the Taizong Opera House and one in Taipei, the National Concert, concert Hall. Hall. Mm -hmm. And tell us what's special about this performance. Uh, these are two very important concerts because they're opening concert of the season, of the 2020-2021 season of the National Taiwan Symphony Orchestra. So I will be the soloist for these two concerts, and I'll be playing the Rachmaninoff Rhapsody on the theme of Paganini. And the orchestra will be playing Beethoven Symphony Number no. 5, uh, both very well-known and popular pieces. August 29th is at the Taichung Opera House, and it's in the big house, the big opera house. 
And August 30th is uh, at the Taipei National Concert Hall. So this is also my debut at the Taichung Opera House. Uh, not many pianists have played in the Opera House because it's so big and it, it's also new. You know, it opened quite recently. I think two years ago. Right, it's a beautiful yeah, architecture. Yeah. So I'm I may be only the third or fourth pianist who who's going to be playing at the Opera House. Exciting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Gwyneth, what would you like to, um, before we leave with one more song, um, what would you like to tell your audience about those who may be interested in enjoying um, music or playing music? I mean, what kind of advice from a world-class musician can you give them? I think uh, we can all give ourselves a chance to get acquainted with classical music more because music is actually more powerful than you think. Mm-hmm. Music can bring a lot to you spiritually and also just on the daily level. It can give you joy. It can bring you joy and excitement. It can bring you calmness and serenity. And it can also bring you to tears. So I think we should all listen to more music. That's really true. <laughs> and should... as, uh, especially to go to a concert hall to see a live concert is mm. a completely different experience. What would you say that's so unique about that experience? Uh, because when you when you listen to a CD, first of all, there's no audience. It's not a live performance. And also it was recorded on many takes and it's been edited. So the performer, the musician is playing not not at the same level as a live performance. It's not as direct. It's not as close it's, up. No, no. It's uh, when you when you listen and watch a live performance, you are much more connected, and the musician also is much more connected to the audience. Of course, because mm-hmm. there's there are thousands of people. It, it's a, a completely different experience for both. And why yeah. do you suggest people? Give classical music a try. A chance. Yeah. Uh, because classical music is very complicated, is not easy to listen to, but it's, it's very lofty. Uh, but I think it can bring you to a higher spiritual level. In what way? You can feel more, um, more calm, and it can also bring you more joy. And because it's more complicated, especially if you learn classical music, you have a better perspective on life. Really? Yes, yes. It changes your perspective on life if you learn classical music. How does it change your perspective on life? Uh, Because, like I said, it's because it's so complicated. But I, I encourage everyone to learn classical music, especially the piano, because it's good for you physically spiritually and emotionally physically it's good for you because you stimulate the fingertips Mm -hmm. and according to chinese doctors it's very important to stimulate your fingertips because they're very uh, important points in the fingers and fingertips so Mm -hmm. it's just important to to exercise your fingers in general Mm -hmm. and there are points in your hands as well so it's it's good for your health to play piano literally good for your health. But what about <laughs> and, the spiritual? And spiritual level is is the best for for a spiritual life because it takes you away from your daily life and uh, it takes you very often takes you away to a different world. Hmm. I mean, I've been reading up a little bit about the effects of music and I was amazed. It actually changes your brain waves. Mhm. 
and mm-hmm. and so you you are more relaxed mm-hmm. and you have a sharper mind mm-hmm. i'm sure there i mean and also actually i started learning piano recently. <laughs> <laughs> it really relaxes you mm-hmm. like you said it, it yeah and, and yeah and other than the the relaxation part i would say it's food for your soul so after you play the piano personally i mean listening to to music is is it's great too. It's but. great already, but if you play it personally, um, you feel full spiritually, so that you don't need to look for more. Mm. I think it's a way to connect with um, your spirit too, right? Because mm-hmm. some of the music may be reflecting some things that you've been thinking about or mm-hmm. experienced, right? And then mm-hmm. you can express it mm-hmm. or process it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's quite amazing the power of music. No oh, you... it's really amazing. For me, it's literally food for my soul. So you never get tired of... Um, never. Playing, <laughs> There's something <playing> new. <laughs> no, there you discover something new all the time. That's really amazing. Yeah. So I guess you're happy with your career, right? I'm very happy. I, I, I'm very much fascinated by my career. If I would be a musician in the next 10 lives. <laughs> <laughs> That's wonderful to hear. Yeah. And uh, for those of you who want to hear her in person, Gwyneth will be performing at the end of this month in Taitung on August 29th and in Taipei, the National Concert Hall on August 30th. Thanks so much, Gwyneth. Thank you. <laughs> and we'll end with one more song. Tell us about Harmonies de Soie. Harmonies de Soie is Harmonies of the Evening. It's extremely beautiful and uh, there's a lot of variations in the harmony. Yeah, it And is it's beautiful. very calm, but it gets very passionate also and romantic. All right, well, let's end with that song. This is Harmonies de Soie by Gwyneth Chen, one of Taiwan's most famous pianists. John Van Trieste and the destination Jiayi.
in the World War II era remains of a Japanese shrine sits an homage to one of Taiwan's most historic cities. Jiayi in Taiwan's southwest can trace its past over several centuries through siege, colonization, disaster, and industrialization. Here in these historic surroundings is what's now called the Jiayi City Historical Relic Museum, where the objects that tell this city's story are housed. Joining us today to share this story is Wang Yongshen of the Jiayi City Cultural Affairs Bureau. 当时位于当时的诸罗了, Ms. Wang says that the original inhabitants of Jiayi were the Hoanya, a group of Plains Aborigines. Records and descriptions of the area date back to the 17th century, a time when southern Taiwan changed hands several times. She says that both the colonizing Dutch and the Chinese warlord Koxinga who expelled them made the impact of their rule felt here. In early Chinese records, the place where Jiayi City now stands is given the name Zhuluo. Ms. Wang says there are two theories for where this older name may have come from. The first is that it's a Chinese corruption of an indigenous word. The second, that it's a Chinese abbreviation for a longer phrase, meaning mountains all laid out in a row. Mountains are something the area does have plenty of. At the beginning of the 18th century, with Imperial China now in control, Chinese immigration to the area grew, and the town became an administrative center. But of course, the town is no longer called Zhuluo, and there's a story that explains the reason why. In 1787, the rebel Lin Shuangwen assembled a force and cut through large areas of Taiwan. His troops laid siege to Zhuluo for several months. Ms. Wang says the sources claim 10. But the garrison and the townspeople held out. The Manchu general Fu Kang'an was dispatched to Taiwan to put the rebellion down. And in 1788, it came to an end. Noting the strength and loyalty shown by the town of Zhuluo, the then reigning Qianlong Emperor himself is said to have bestowed upon it the new name Jiayi, the characters for which mean something like excellent righteousness. This imperial origin makes Jiayi stand out among Taiwanese place names. This period of the town's early history is remembered today through displays in the Historic Relics Museum. Abrupt changes starting in 1895, though, changed the character of the city and gave Taiwan Jiayi as it's known today. Eighteen ninety-five saw the end of a war between Imperial China and Japan. The war ended in Japanese victory, and the treaty ending the conflict saw Taiwan ceded to Japan as an overseas colony. Despite local resistance, Taiwan was to stay under Japanese rule for 50 years. Jiayi was one of the places that caught the attention of administrators looking for resources. The city sits nearly square on the Tropic of Cancer, and like the rest of southern Taiwan, its tropical climate was perfect for sugarcane. But the high mountains to the east of the city held a greater treasure, rich forests. Now, 
Alishan, a mountain that's now one of Taiwan's most popular tourist sites, was particularly rich, covered in stands of tall ancient trees. Not all of it was ordinary timber either. Taiwan cypress, with its soothing woody fragrance, was recognized as being much like Japan's own prized Hinoki cypress. Once finished, its wood was shipped off to Japan for use in Shinto shrines and other august buildings. Logging for more ordinary wood began too, with the felled timber shipped down the mountain to Jai for finishing into lumber. Meanwhile, Jai became a staging point for resupplying logging camps up in the mountains. Later during the Japanese period, with logging sites above and lumber factories below, Jai would sometimes simply be called the lumber capital. This logging era in the city's history, which includes the early years of the 20th century, is important enough to have its own exhibit in the museum today. Another special exhibit is reserved for the coming of the railroad. When most people in Taiwan hear this phrase, they might think of the 1908 completion of Taiwan's first major rail line, the West Coast Line, linking major cities north and south and still in operation today. The railroad ran through Jai and had a big impact, but Ms. Wong says the other railroads that changed the city shouldn't be forgotten. One of them, the 1912 Alishan Forest Railway, has certainly not been forgotten. Today it's one of Jai City's most important tourist attractions, running up from the city over difficult terrain up to the mountain logging centers. There were also rail lines for transporting sugarcane and heavy oil, signs of an industrializing city that was growing in importance. These early years of the 20th century are also the period to which many of Jai's historical buildings belong. Colonial administrators gave Taiwan's towns and cities a makeover through urban development plans. Ms. Wong says that six of these plans were drawn up for Jai alone. There was also an effort to rebuild the city after a 7.1 earthquake in 1906 leveled its traditional buildings. As a result of all this, Ms. Wong says, the street plan of the city today is still largely the same, though the roads have been widened and new infrastructure like sewers, schools and hospitals have been modernized. One of the most popular parts of the city's new layout, though, has many of its original features still intact. Jai Park, opened in 1910, was an important social place and a spot where you could get lost among the green. Some decades after its founding, local-born artist Chen Chengbo would paint loving renditions of the park, showing its fountain and its grand trees. The museum is filled with artifacts showing how Jai changed under Japanese rule. But the museum itself is a sign of the changing times. Here in 1915, a Japanese Shinto shrine, the Jai Shrine, was inaugurated. Most of these Shinto shrines have been destroyed or fallen into disrepair, and only two remain fully intact today. But at Jai's Historical Relics Museum, you can get an idea of what one of these shrines would have been like. By the 1930s and 40s, as Japan entered into what would become the Pacific Theater of World War II, 
people in Taiwan faced ever greater pressure to assimilate to Japanese culture and to worship at shrines like these. In the 1940s, with the war in full progress, the shrine here was expanded. The expansion was finished in 1943, just in time for the end of Japanese rule two years later with the war's end. For a long time after the war, the Jiayi Shrine stood intact, turned by Taiwan's new Republic of China government into a martyr shrine. However, the main shrine building burned in 1994. The shrine's other two surviving buildings, an elegant purification hall and an office, were left abandoned until their historic value was recognized, and they were repaired in the late 1990s. The Jiayi city government decided that these two buildings from 1943 would make a fine setting for retelling stories of the city's past. The Museum of Historical Relics opened in 2001. Today, many visitors pair a visit to the museum with a trip next door to a new Jiayi landmark. The Sun Shooting Tower is a modern monument with an observation deck built over the ruins of the former main shrine. These two Jiayi landmarks are a fitting pair. A panorama of Jiayi's centuries of history coupled with a literal panorama of what this city of a quarter million has become. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. Earlier this week, we saw some disturbing images of what Taiwan may look like underwater. That's right. It was a simulation by Greenpeace, which is warning that some 2 million people in Taiwan, or nearly 10% of the population, could be displaced by rising sea levels by the year 2050. If something isn't done about global carbon emissions, over 2,000 square kilometers of land in Taiwan will become flood risks by 2050. That's the latest from a report conducted by environmental NGO Greenpeace. Carbon emissions are responsible for global warming, which cause ice sheets to melt into the ocean, in turn prompting sea levels to rise. Taiwan will become more susceptible to storm surges wrought on by typhoons because of rising sea levels. Greenpeace says that currently global sea levels are rising by about 1.9 millimeters a year. If trends continue, then sea levels in Taiwan will rise by 0.56 meters by 2050. Under that circumstance, sea levels may rise by as much as 1.62 meters during storm surges. This would negatively impact densely populated areas. The rise in sea levels poses a safety threat to people living in all six of Taiwan's major municipalities. 750,000 inhabitants in New Taipei City alone would be affected. Greenpeace is calling on all local governments to evaluate how climate change will affect their areas and make adjustments as needed. It says that climate change is already a huge threat and immediate response is necessary. Joining us with more details is Catherine Wei. Hey, Catherine. Hi. Now, you looked at uh, some of the specific places that could be affected by rising sea levels, and some of those places were in southern Taiwan. Mm -hmm. We saw some historical sites in Tainan on the list, also an arts uh, center in Kaohsiung. But some of the places were also right here in our backyard. 
Yes, and it may be hard to believe, but the presidential office and the Songsan International Airport might be underwater in 30 years' time. Well, that's hard to imagine. So um, what is Greenpeace saying about how Taiwan is dealing with this problem? Uh, Greenpeace is saying Taiwan's not doing that great of a job, and it's not just Greenpeace who's saying this. Taiwan has been ranked at the bottom in a few climate change rankings, including the Climate Change Performance Index, which uses data from the UN. We ranked third to last in 2019. But the government says that these organizations are using old or incorrect data. Taiwan hasn't been able to correct them because it is not a member of major global organizations like the UN. Well, thank you for that. And that's this week's Taiwan Explained. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia, from 1600 to 1700 UTC, on 9405 kHz. And in Southeast Asia, from 0300 to 0400 UTC, on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.